Topic for today is treasures in, I called it treasures in your backyard, use of local materials for pottery. Welcome to the Potter's Roundtable, a monthly podcast where we share our passion for the ceramic arts and a collection of topics specific to potters. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Enjoy the show. Okay, and then in terms of minerals, so I've talked about clay. I've, I talked about clay first just because it's probably the most common thing we, we think about when we think about natural materials. Um, did you want, what? Sorry, I didn't Oh, okay, sorry. Um, and I talked about rocks and, and then min, specific minerals. Well, the main one I'd suggest that you might run across is gonna be some form of iron oxide in terms of, you're not, a lot of other minerals, you're not, especially around here or in most places, you're not gonna find really pure, useful minerals necessarily. This, but, but iron is pretty common. So for instance, I live, and I'll pass some of these around. I live over in, I live in Frederick and I walk a lot on, on Gambrel, Gambrel State Park. And just walking along the paths, I found these chunks of iron oxide. So this is, this is yellow iron oxide in quartz. And this is, you'll feel the weight of these things. This is yellow and red iron oxide mixed together. Now I could grind, this I could crush up and grind, and I could get a lot of pigment or colorant, let's say for a glaze, out of these. This just comes from Gambrel. And you, feel, you can feel how heavy they are. There's a lot of iron in them. Plus, um, historically, there were all up and down these, these, these ridges here, there were, old, there were old iron mines. There were iron mines right here along the Potomac River. There are irons, I'm, I'm very familiar with it. There was a, there's an iron mine up toward Thurmont, Catoctin Furnace. And so this was the kind of iron that they were, they were finding. So it's, this, this is pretty common. So that, some, some form of iron is probably the most common mineral you're gonna find. And you typically might find what's called yellow iron. And again, this is a glazing ingredient, yellow iron oxide. You'll find this sort of mustard yellow colored iron oxide. That's fairly common. I found a piece in our backyard here. Um, or you'll find the red iron oxide, um, which is that, and actually those rocks that I just passed around are kind of dark colored. If you ground them up, they'd be red. They'd be, it's just, the only reason why they're dark like that is because they're, um, they're, they're kind of dense. Okay, any questions on that? Okay, now get into some other materials like scrap materials is if you know somebody who's a plumber and you can get copper, now this is, this is sort of local materials but not necessarily natural, okay? If you can get scraps of copper pipe, you heat them in your kiln to like bisque temperatures and you can make some bla great black copper oxide. Can you say that again? You get some, get some plumbing scraps like trimmings of copper pipe and you heat them in your kiln like to a bisque temperature, like 06 or lower, and they'll turn black. That's black copper oxide. And it's a very standard glazing. Another whole category that we, we touched on earlier of available materials are ashes, okay? And there are different categories of ashes um, that, or at least I, I categorize them differently. There, there are wood ashes from burning wood. There are ashes from grass and garden plants. And there's a big difference in composition between the ash of wood of wood and, and grasses and things. And the big difference is that most of the grasses, and this includes things like if you go to a farm where they have like hay, like straw, like hay straw and oat straw, um, straw and grasses contain a lot of silica in the ash and not that much in the way of fluxes. Whereas wood ash contains a lot of fluxes and not that much silica. As a, as a, as a, I was talking earlier about analyses, but that, that, that characteristic is true. Grass Ashes from plants in the grass family tend to be high silica, low flux, 
and ashes in the woods, in the woods from different kinds of tree, hardwood trees or wood tends to be a lot of fluxes and not so much silica. So as a matter of fact, and this was used, and the Japanese did a lot of work in this area looking at different kinds of ashes. And so for instance, you probably heard of nuka glazes, which are this sort of really like, they can be very white or opalescent. And what the Japanese do, they use the ash from burning rice hulls. After they harvested the rice, the hull, the little sheath around the, the rice grain, they'd save those after they milled the rice. And those are incredibly high in silica. And when you burn the rice hulls, you get this incredibly fine, very pure silica, which is a beautiful glaze ingredient. And so they used it for a lot of their glazes. They used the rice hull ash. And they specifically do that to get the silica from it. And, and of course, rice is a, gra is a grass. <coughs> it's a kind of grass. So they got this beautiful, pure white silica by burning the rice hulls. The third kind of ash that I've had questions about in the past is from crema cremation ashes, either from family members or pets. And I've, I'll give you a I've got a recipe here I'll give you for a cremation ash glaze. If you, if you have a favorite uncle you want to have around the house, you know, um, sitting on the mantle. So th the main thing is that you can do with ashes would be, I would say, would either be as a, depending on what they are, is either as a flux. Everybody familiar with the term flux? That's basically a portion or an ingredient in the glaze that helps the glaze melt, okay? So either you use, a, you use ashes as a source of fluxes, like wood ash, or you'd use them as a source of silica, as in like the rice hull ash or grass ash. I mean, for instance, you might have, let's say you lived on a farm and they, you, know, and they, you harvest a crop and you've got, you've got oat straw and you've got mountains of oat straw that you don't know what to do. Well, you could burn the oat straw and get the ash and use that as a silica source in glazes. And that would certainly be local. Okay, so ashes, so we've got wood and grass and then cremation ashes. And it's, so the two main things I could think of would be either as a flux source or as a silica source, depending on the kind of ash, or just for the sentimental reason of, you know, like you wanted to, like you said, somebody wanted the, you know, they wanted to make a dog bowl that contained the dog, you know, or something. Um, and, and the question is, so how would you have, in most cases, there isn't much prep that's involved. You might have, like with wood ashes, you want to screen them, um, for sure. You want to get out chunks of wood and charcoal. And, the, and especially with, with ashes from burning, there's always the question of whether they should be washed or not. Is, and there's, there are different, there are, there, there are a lot of materials in, in ashes from burning that are water soluble, mostly like sodium salts and potassium salts. And so depending on whether you wash the ash, meaning whether you remove those salts or not, you'll get a different performance of the ash. And so one of the things that if you see a recipe sometime that says wood ash, you don't know whether it's washed or unwashed, and that could change the characteristics a lot. It could change because if you've removed, for instance, a lot of the sodium from the ash, then the ash is gonna melt at a higher temperature. So again, it really goes back. If you see a recipe, you thought, oh, I think I'll try that, then decide whether you're gonna use washed or unwashed ash, and, and you gotta do some tests. So how do you evaluate ashes when I say testing? is I'd either, I'd either, and I'll, I'll give you some, we're gonna go, we'll go, I'll walk you quickly through these recipes I passed out. Um, but you can just like do a substitution. Like if you find a, if you find a recipe, again, no substitute for test, and you find a recipe for an ash glaze, just take some of your ash and put it in the glaze and try it and see what you get. Does it melt completely? Does it not melt completely? Does it give you some weird color? There's, there's no, 
There's no substitute for that. Um, and you can do line, what's called a line blend, you know, where you add a little bit to something and you add a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And you could do that with the recipe. Just take a recipe, you know, keeps it simple, put, and follow the recipe. And then add, add some more in it and see what happens to the glaze as you increase or decrease the amount of the material. And then you can, and then that way you can cover a range and you can see whether, does it work? You know, do you find an area that works for your range? I've got some, I've got some for instance, where I made an ash glaze and I fired it at cone six and it was perfect. And of course I fired the same glaze at cone 10 and it ran all over the place. So after a while I was able to say, okay, well then this, if I want to make a cone six glaze out of it, then this is the amount of ash I need to use for the cone six. And I could take that same recipe and just change it and make it a cone 10 glaze by, by decreasing the amount of ash. Okay. Okay. And I guess I don't want to, we're, I don't want to keep going here too long because I still got some more things, but, um, I guess there, there are other sort of ingredients around that, that don't fall into the same, or local materials that don't fall into the same category as rocks and minerals and clay and stuff. Things like sawdust. And sawdust, you know, just as a local material is really, like from furniture makers, a wood mill, just a useful material to have for like pit firing um, or, or a wadding ingredient. If you're doing wood firing, sawdust is nice to have, fine sawdust to make your wads out of for, for wood firing. So it's, it's, a, it's a really useful material. Um, I've used pine needles and, and seaweed a lot. Um, they're great for pit firing because the pine needles, when they burn, they leave patterns on the pots. And so depending on how you arrange, I used to actually take pine needles and glue them to pieces of paper and spread them out in certain patterns and then put the paper next to the pot and you get the, the, get the image of the pine needles is transferred to the pot. And seaweed contains a lot of naturally occurring minerals in it so you can get some great coloration on pots. Um, from just from, from, from burning seaweed. When I lived near the ocean, we used to go down and collect a lot of it late at night so from the when, state park. When you, <laughs> when you, when you, <laughs> and uh, so, okay, so another, and another scrap material while, while you're down at the beach collecting seaweed is seashells. Because if nothing else, they're really good for supports for wood firing. You know, where you, you can put a little bit of wadding in the seashell. And so like anything, any kind of seashells are great. Like little periwinkle shells work great, little snail shells off the rocks. Anyway, they make great supports. And if you're interested, you could always crush them up and use it as lime in your, in your glazes, which again is a lot of work, but at least they're, they're useful. Um, I wanted to, while we're talking about these things, I wanted to give you examples of glaze recipes. So it's not just, you know, I can give you specific examples that if you wanted to try some of these things, you've got something to start with. So on the first page, I've got like clay and glazes. These are just some recipes I pulled from a variety of sources just to show you. And, some, and again, glaze recipes don't have to be complicated. If you, my, my natural inclination is if I see a complicated grade recipe, there's something wrong because it doesn't have to be that complicated. So under the, on the left-hand side of the first page here, this is, for instance, here's a really simple glaze recipe. A, a ferro-frit raven crag clay slip is just a naturally occurring highly colored clay. It's kind of like Alberta slip or Albany slip. So this is just a, this is a cone six glaze, cone seven, with a little bit of frit and clay and silica. And they've added titanium oxide to make it a little more opaque. Very simple. We hope you're enjoying the show. Please take a moment to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps new listeners find the show. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates as new episodes are released. And if you'd like to support the video and podcast production of the Potter's Roundtable, become a patron. Go to patreon.com and search for the Potter's Roundtable. Your support will help us achieve our goal of creating a digital library spanning the ceramic arts for use by educators and artists alike. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. 
The next one is, again, red clay glaze. A little wider range, just ball clay, red art clay, and silica. So you could take, if you had a clay, and I've got, there are several more here. If I've got, a, you've got a clay, you could just try one of these glazes and just substitute your clay for, for the clay that, that, that's in this recipe. Here's another one, St. John's Black, really simple, just Nepheline cyanite and Alberta or Albany slip. And that's that, that Albany slip is the highly colored slip that was quarried, that was dug around Albany, New York. And Alberta is the, is the man-made substitute for it. It's a highly iron manganese clay, highly colored clay. But anyway, I just, I want, again, I wanted to give you some, and, here's an, and then on the right, black, here's another, here's another um, black glaze with Albany slip again, and whiting and Nepheline cyanite. Yellow ochre, that's, that's, the, that's yellow iron oxide, basically. And that's, this is something that you might, this I found in the woods in places, yellow ochre is a soft, powdery form of iron oxide. It's a hydrated water, iron oxide that contains water. And it's literally, it's the, the, the term ochre is a geological term, meaning it's soft and crumbly. And it literally is like powder. So you could literally dig it up, screen it, and it's ready to use. It's, it's, it's not, it's not rock-like and hard at all. Um, then here's another one, here's a cone 10 ongobe. Everybody familiar with the term ongobe? An ongobe is sort of halfway between a glaze um, and a clay. It doesn't get glassy and fully vitrified like a glaze, but it does get hard and dense. So they're typically used as surface coatings um, to like change the color or change the texture of a surface. Another way to look at it would be is if you took a cone 10 glaze and fired it at a cone 6, you're using it like an ongobe. It's an, it's an in, incompletely fused material. And ongobes are usually designed so that they don't completely melt and they don't completely fuse. They get hard, they get dense, but they don't get you know, glassy like a normal glaze. Increasingly, we're, we're getting really sloppy with the way we're using terms in terms of the whole field of pottery. Like slip, technically, is only clay and water. And you'll see recipes all over the time that contain nepheline cyanide and all this other stuff. If it's a slip, Strictly speaking, is only clay and water. If you have fluxes in it, it's an ongobe. Um, and so, for instance, like commercial underglazes, those are ongobes. Those are ongobes, actually, because they contain, it, the fact that they contain a color doesn't matter, but it contains a pigment and it contains a little bit of flux, but they don't completely melt and turn into a glass, okay? So here's a, here's a dark ongobe, and it's really easy, just Cone 10, local red clay, which could be your clay from your backyard, and some potash feldspar. Okay. Next page, so, that, so there's some clay in glaze. Next page, I've got some recipes for rocks in glazes. And again, so this, the first one, this is very accessible. Pumice or volcanic ash. Now, you can buy that, but if you happen to, you know, or plan your vacation somewhere and take large foldable canvas bags along where there happens to be a you know, volcanic eruption. So volcanic ash, limestone, flint, and kaolin. Very nice cone six glaze you can make with that. Um, here's another one, Alberta rust. Now, I, and I, I included both names here, just so I've got whiting, but the rock is limestone. But that's a Cornwall stone. Of course, there's a British rock. I mean, and this is what I was saying earlier, how we've gotten kind of, we've gotten spoiled. We, we could afford to have ro powdered rock shipped over from across the Atlantic Ocean to use it in our pottery. This, you know, it's from Cornwall, England, yet, you know, and it's fairly reasonably priced. But. And so here, but again, this is an interesting recipe because it's got limestone, it's got Cornwall stone, and it's got Alberta clay slip. And they happen to add a little more iron oxide to make it a little more irony. But you, you can skip that. So they've got three rocks making up a glaze. 
Pigskin temaku, there's another one. Now shale rock, this, the question was raised earlier, what is shale? That's basically clay, but it's, in, it's, it's this stuff. It's in a hard sort of compact form, but you could crush it up. It's, it's pretty soft. So here's shale rock, here's granite, limestone. So three different kinds of rock plus ash and silica. Okay, and then another pumice celadon, again, a really simple recipe, volcanic ash and wollastonite, a mineral. Okay, and then the next column, ashes and glazes. If you, have a, if you have an ash that you want to play with, the simplest thing to do is mix it one-to-one -one with any clay is a good starting point. Any clay as a starting point. So here's washed, this happens to be washed wood ash, but it doesn't have to be. And this happens to be red earthenware clay, but it doesn't have to be. Now the clays are gonna, this is where I say the testing is important. If I use ball clay instead of red earthenware, I'm gonna get a different response. But I'll get something that's starting to look like a glaze that then I can play with and I can make adjustments to it. But it won't, it won't do nothing, it'll do something. It may not melt completely or it may not melt the color you like, but it'll, it'll, it'll encourage you to keep going. Okay, here's another, and that next one, ash glaze, cone six, washed wood ash, whiting potash, feldspar, and any clay. A, a really simple recipe. You notice all these recipes are really simple. They don't have 15 ingredients. They've got four or maybe five. Val Cushing wood ash glaze, another ash glaze, cone six. Here's, and here's the recipe I was talking about. Here's the cremation ash glaze. That any, any kind of ashes from your, your uncle or your dog um, or somebody you don't like, um, anyway, really simple recipe, okay? And it makes a very nice cone six glaze. And again, um, and this is without any colorant. So this is gonna be sort of, I think, I'm not sure what color this is gonna be depending on the ash, but you could always add colorants to it. Now the one thing I didn't mention also that I, I forgot to mention in terms of scrap materials is scrap glass. And this was, this was actually a material used traditionally, especially in American pottery for years, especially Southern potters used crushed bottles and crushed glass for years as a clay, ingredient, clay body ingredient, because that was their flux, and also as a glaze ingredient. So here's an example of a, of a glaze recipe. Cullet is the name for crushed or broken glass. That just means scrap glass. So cullet was 60%, spodumene was 20%, and EPK is, was 20. I suspect, I don't have it, the cone there, I suspect this is a cone 10 glaze, looking at the recipe. So, and I had, it was interesting, one of the, I have a, I teach an afternoon um, hand building class here, and one of the fellows in my hand building class used to make a lot of stained glass windows. And so he would cut his pieces of stained glass. Well, he saved all the sawdust from his stained glass. So that bucket on the back corner there on the, on the second shelf down is all this powdered glass, fine powder from cutting his stained glass for 10 years. So we're gonna play around with it, see if we can make a glaze out of it. And of course, it's all different colors. But so it's a, that's a really nice, and so he, he really liked that idea because it connects to, he's no longer making stained glass, but, he, but he, it connects to his stained glass history. And that's a really usable you know, raw material is this finely powdered glass. That stuff will melt, that'll be fine for cone six. That'll melt fairly low. So that'll be good for cone six. Different kinds of glass melt at different temperatures. Stained glass, typically the kind they use melts will, is fine for cone six. Most bottles, like colored bottles you see in wine bottles, won't melt at cone six. Um, they, they usually have to go to at least cone 10 to really melt. So occasionally you'll find something that'll, get, that'll melt, but most of them you have to go to cone 10. And then, here's, here's, and then below that, here's another glass recipe that's, that's mixed wood ash, native clay, and scrap glass. So there's a nice three, three waste materials. And then another, and I included this kind of interest, 
the next page is, if, actually, if you have an old bag of cement powder, you can actually make glazes out of cement. And here's an example of a recipe, Portland cement. You know, you might have a bag of cement that sits in your garage or somewhere, and after a while, it hardens by itself. Well, you crush it up a little bit, it's not that hard, and you can use it as a glaze ingredient. So here's Portland cement and Cornwall stone and bentonite, you know, just to keep it in suspension. If you'd like to see a video version of this presentation, just head out to YouTube and search for Washington Street Studios. And it comes out a lovely gray. Yeah, it comes out a lovely gray, yeah. No, but this, these, are, these are mostly base glazes, meaning that I didn't include, in a lot of cases, we didn't include colorants. They're just, they're base glazes. Another good source, what I did was, I went to a local, I'll pass this around if you look at it. This is blacksmith scale. This is really nice, fine black iron oxide that I got from a blacksmith, because when they work, when they work the iron, it, it oxidizes. Excuse me, and they produce this scale. So this is another nice source of um, a black iron oxide. And I also did from wood kilns. The the bar, usually if a wood kiln has 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 great has great bars, metal bars, they also do the same thing. They they produce this scale. So I collected this from a friend of mine who has a wood kiln up in um, in Thermont. And I'd, after the firing, I'd, I'd clean his bars for him and scrape off the iron oxide. And this is like pure pure black iron oxide. It's great stuff. A couple other things I just I forgot to mention here. I, when I was talking about rocks, one kind of rock that you can get, this is turkey grit. And I'll pass this, if you've ever seen it. They sell, this is crushed rock they sell for people that have turkeys, because turkeys need to eat it. Because of their gizzards, they need to eat the rocks. So, and they're too stupid to find their own. So, so you have to feed them rocks. So this, it comes in fine, medium, and coarse. I got this at Southern States, and this is just crushed granite. But you, could, you can screen this and get some fine stuff out of it, but you could put this, for instance, in, wedge this into clay and get sort of a shigaraki effect, because this is mostly feldspar. So this is gonna melt. If you go to cone 1011, it's gonna melt and ooze out of the, um, out of the clay. <laughs> and that stuff's cheap. This is like, you know, it's, it's just crushed rock that you're feeding to, to your turkeys. Um, the other thing, one other thing I, I wanted to mention also about, I'm, I'm winding down here that I wanted to just mention, if you, another thing you can use, we hadn't talked about, is, is sand. If you have local sand, like from a river or something, you could make that the grog in your clay. And the only precaution is, this is some, I'll pass this around, this is some sand I got from the Shenandoah River, and it's really nice, it's got multi, different minerals in it, and I've used it as grog, but it also contains shell fragments. And the little white spots you see in here are shell fragments, because there are, there are naturally occurring clams in the Shenandoah River. And so this is going to give you pop, lime pops in your clay body. So you've got to be, if you use the sand as a grog in your clay, you've got to make sure, and the same thing would occur with beach sand. If you went to the ocean, if there are shell fragments in it, it's going to make lime pops in your clay. Lime pop is a defect where the, where the, when, the when you fire the, 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 this is calcium carbonate, when you fire it, it converts it to calcium oxide. And then when it comes out of the kiln, it absorbs moisture from the air and converts to calcium hydroxide. But when it does that, it expands. And it expands so forcefully that it literally bursts pieces of the clay off the surface. So you end up with pits in the surface of the clay. Typically, you see a little white dot at the bottom where the lime, where the lime particle was. And it literally forces a piece of clay out of the surface. So you end up with all these little craters wherever there's a piece of lime. And I think that's about all I had here. Um, as I say, I, I didn't, oh, I'll, I'll pass one or two more things around. This is, this is, a, this is a clay body I, I'm, I'm working on for my wood firing. And this, this is 
um, a stoneware and I've added some of the brick clay from the Martinsburg pit and I've been playing with the amounts and the proportions. And this piece was fired to about cone 12. It also has an ash glaze on the inside. But you'll see these little blooms all over the outside where the clay has erupted and melted and flowed a little bit on the surface. And it also has flowed down on the inside. So these stains on the inside are where the, the iron came through to the inside and then got washed down the surface by the, by the melting ash glaze. This is a cup that I threw when I got, I went, I went up to the, to the brick quarry again in Martinsburg and, I, and the, the, the fellow took me into the plant and showed me around and I wanted to see if I could throw the clay and it's horrible because it's really coarse clay but I was able to make two cups out of it and one of them I put a hand, I, I made, I was going to make two mugs and the other one the handle just fell apart. So this, is, this was thrown out of their brick mix, the same stuff that was used for the things. Um, but it, again, it's so coarse, it just eats the fingerprints right off your fingers. But I was able to fire it at cone six, um, and, and I put a, this is, this is nutmeg, a pretty common cone six glaze on it. But, as you, but this, this, I wouldn't want to work with this stuff all the time because it's so coarse, it's and it's barely plastic, barely plastic and barely throwable. So I could so that's why I started thinking about that since the plasticity was so bad I could use it as an additive to other clay bodies so that's what I'm playing with now especially for wood firing because I like the way it melts and oozes yeah you can give those right back to Jen thank you Jen for those um, um, so I think that's on that then I just got some others like this is a cone six ash made with local clay and an ash glaze um, this is an ash glaze this is just this is basically just clay and wood ash. This is this is one third. This this is one third clay and one and two thirds wood ash. And this is cone. This is a cone six. So just clay and wood ash, and I add a little cobalt to it to give it the blue color. It's a really nice, you know, predictable, really simple two ingredients: clay and wood, local clay. What's the white? This was this was clay from the. Um, let's see, where is this from? Oh, this is from the brickworks again, but I made a slip from the clay. So I, this was fired to cone six. So this is a brown slip made from the brickworks clay again that I just did as a decorating slip to see how, it, this was the first test I did with it as a slip. And then I just put a, a, a thin coating of a, of a white over it. Potter's Roundtable is brought to you by Washington Street Studios and our patrons. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends. If you want to learn more about Washington Street Studios and shared studio memberships, please visit our website at www.hfclay.com. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time on the Potter's Roundtable.